I don't think anyone would argue that golf courses are for people who like to golf. Restaurants for people who like to eat, and bike lanes are for people who like to bike. So it seemed natural that churches would be for church people. The problem is when you read the stories of Jesus and the letters of the New Testament, nothing could be further from the truth. That Jesus didn't come just for church and religious people any more than the church is for church people. Sometimes I think when people attend church or they watch online or they interact with Christians in any way, it's sort of like entering the Yosemite Valley for the very first time. And as someone who grew up in the Midwest in a very flat part of the country, um, I first entered the Yosemite Valley thinking, oh my, this is amazing. Looking up at El Capitan, looking up at the different falls around and thinking, this is awesome. I wish I could get up there, but I don't know the steps. I don't know the trails that will lead me there. And I think sometimes Christians forget that new people to church or people who are sort of looking at Christianity from the outside sort of think the same thing. That it'd be nice to feel close to God. It'd probably be great for my kids to experience that. But church must just be for church people who have somehow figured out the way to get close to God. So who is the church for? Who is a relationship with God for? Who is welcome and invited to explore faith, religion, and the questions of life? We think the answer is pretty clear, that Jesus is for everyone. But we all have the tendency to exclude people, particularly people who are different than us. But this is why as a church, we do things the way that we do things. This is the reason why we talk about the things that we talk about. Because I've been a part of enough church meetings, maybe you have as well, where you left sort of thinking, I'm not so sure how I'm supposed to follow God by doing this. Like it feels like there's some steps that we're missing that would help me to actually do this. Or maybe worse yet, there were some people that were excluded from this gathering. And I think most churches, including ours, are actually fairly nice. And we sort of get along pretty well and we, we welcome people. But there's just something about church, if we're not careful, that regular people will think this is just for church people. So this summer, we're going to spend some time in a book called Romans. If you're new to our church or you're new to faith or you're not so sure about Jesus and the Bible thing, we're really glad that you're here. Romans can be a bit of a challenging place to start reading if you don't have some help. But it's a great book. Uh, for many of us, though, it'd sort of be like picking up a philosophy of engineering book if we only had a background in music. And it'd be a little bit challenging, right? With that said, though, this book provides some of the most memorable, tweetable, powerful phrases that can speak to anyone in all of the scriptures. This book answers the questions, how does following Jesus actually work? And maybe more importantly for all of us, who does it work for? Romans was written by a Jewish guy named Paul who was trying to stop the movement of Christianity after Jesus. At this time, um, most of Jesus' followers were Jewish, um, which created some obstacles for the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, who wanted to follow Jesus. At first, the Gentiles would have to become Christians before they could follow Jesus. This meant adopting the customs, the traditions, <clears throat> the surgeries, along with the laws of Judaism. And then they could add on their belief and faith in Jesus on top of that. It was a great system for the Jewish people, right? Like it was an amazing system for them because all they had to do was add Jesus and their belief on top of their system that already existed. But if you were an outsider, if you were a Gentile, this complicated things amazingly and really in a challenging way. You would have to adopt a whole nother different religion first. So who is the church for? Eventually the church leaders realized that the church really is for everyone and people didn't have to become Jewish first. But unfortunately the church communicated to people after that. There were so many instances where the church would communicate to people 
that Jesus and the church aren't for everyone. Sometimes to keep people in, other times to keep people out. At times, the church has been weaponized and used to keep women down, keep minorities out, to keep certain people in with certain bank balances or status or a certain skin color, to keep people out with, with certain backgrounds and baggage or political views. And at times, the church has been used to abuse people. And yet there have been leaders like Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., who have looked at the church and said, this isn't for everyone. This is just for a select group of people. Like the people don't know how to get close to God because either the wrong rules or they don't have the right rules or they don't have a certain amount of money or they don't have certain education or background or skin color. And yet we would agree with them and say the gospel, the good news of Jesus is for everyone still. In spite of what other people may have said in the past, what they might say right now even, the good news of Jesus is for everyone still. That's going to be our theme over these next few weeks as we explore the second part of the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. And this was a theme that he wanted to remind his audience about constantly, that Jesus was for everyone. But more than that, Paul also wanted to make this accessible for everyone. That no matter your educational background, status, slave, owner, freeman, uh, male, female, rich or poor. Beyond all that, Paul wanted this to be accessible for more than just a certain group of people. He wanted Jesus to be accessible to more than just a certain group of people. So today we're going to look at one of those memorable, tweetable, powerful phrases and verses in the book of Romans. In fact, this is actually one of the sections that I was actually encouraged as a high school student to memorize as part of what's called the Romans Road. So I want to share two reasons why I hope that these verses stick in your mind or become as memorable for you as they have been for me. Number one, the audience Paul is addressing puts these verses in some sort of unique context for those of us particularly as Christians in America. Because in this letter, Paul encourages people around the world, but specifically in Rome, to acknowledge Jesus as their king. Now he's acknowledging this, again, to people, he's writing this to people in the city of Rome, the greatest city of the world at the time, but also the home of the most powerful man in the world, Caesar, whose title means son of God. Not only that, it's the greatest empire in the world with a government that is openly against Christians and executed Jesus. So that's number one. That's why I hope it's sort of memorable a little bit. The second reason I hope it's memorable and sticks in your mind is that these verses clearly tell us how we can get close to God and how we can help others get close to God. And we're going to really focus our, our time on the second reason today. Um, we're sort of jumping into the Paul's purpose of writing this, and basically he's writing to his Jewish brothers and sisters, sort of trying to help remind them and help show them that they can't live up to the old Jewish system of laws and the old Jewish system of their religion. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. Um, if you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can jump in there. You can also jump in the chat or in the notes section, or we'll also have the verses on the screen as well. Romans chapter 10, verse 5, it says this, For Moses writes the, that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. And really this is sort of saying that to do this you must obey all the commands and laws if you're going to declare yourself right. Because if you even mess up with one, even at one point in your life or at any point in your life, you can't say that you're right with God. And so Paul's going to contrast this old Jewish system to get right with God with the new system. Verse 6, but faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go down, who, sorry rather, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. Like, you don't have to go up to heaven to find God or to find your Savior because he's already come down from heaven to us in Jesus. Verse 7, And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. 
You don't have to do either of these things for our relationship with God to be made right. They've already been done for you. They've already happened. Verse eight. In fact, it says the, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And really everything's already been done. It's just waiting for us to respond. And how we need to respond in our response is gonna be with our words, with our belief, with our faith, and with our action. And one other important thing coming up. Continuing on. And that message is, very, is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare Jesus is Lord. Now I'm gonna read that again. I want you to sort of flash back into the city that Paul is addressing in the first century of Rome. Rome, that's who he's saying this to. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, in Paul's day, you might be thrown into an, uh, an arena full of lions, hungry lions, unarmed, um, to be executed or just for the enjoyment and entertainment of those in the crowd. Like that might be what happens to you because you openly declared that Jesus was Lord. Because as a theologian, a famous theologian, N.T. Wright reminds us about Ro the Roman Empire, in Paul's world, Lord was a title for Caesar. Saying Jesus was Lord meant ultimately that Caesar wasn't. And we don't really use the term Lord anymore except really for church, but Lord sort of means master or leader or guide. And if you're saying that Jesus is your Lord and your leader and your guide, that's by saying you're, you're not saying Caesar is your Lord and your guide. And the Romans, if you said that, would think, well, Caesar's supposed to be above everything. And if you're saying that Jesus is above everything, that's not right. That is actually treason in their mind. Paul continues, verse 9, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Even though believing and declaring those things openly will actually be putting yourself in dangerous situations, which is kind of ironic of the whole thing, right? By, by actually doing this, it's Paul's saying you're going to get saved, but in reality, in the physical world, you're going to be put in dangerous situations because you do this. And I sort of wonder what the first century Christians or the Jesus followers would think of us today saying, like, Jesus saved us for something, from something. Because they would say, like, saved you from what? Like, what is there to save you from? Like, you've got a pretty good life and everything is good. And granted, the 21st century has its own dangerous situations. The thing is that most of those dangerous situations are by our own doing, right? Addictions, physical, financial, relationship problems, those are all our own doing usually. And however, though, in Paul's day, it was also challenging to believe that somebody could be raised from the dead, just like it is today. It's kind of challenging to believe that somebody would raise from the dead. So if you're new to faith or if you're just kind of here today and checking things out, we're not expecting you to believe that just right away. We do invite you, though, to follow Jesus because you can follow Jesus not believing this just yet or not believing this specific thing about Jesus. Paul continues and explains why this is important. Verse 10, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That really believing in your heart sort of suggests everything about the inward life of a Jesus follower, of a follower of Jesus. And then the second part of saying openly declaring suggests everything on the outside of the life of following of a follower of Jesus with your words, with your actions. But it's more than that. It's with your whole life and the way that you live your life. And there's again a specific one that he's going to point to in just a second. Um, verse 11, as scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in the Lord or trusts in him will never be disgraced. Verse 12, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. 
And to give generously literally means to, to never stop giving in a sense, to never stop giving the love and grace that, that God gives. And basically what it's saying is that God's desire is for everyone. And this is where we sort of continue the idea. God's desire is for everyone to be made right with him and for everyone to call on him so that he can sort of work this thing out in their lives. That everyone has been invited to call on God. Continuing on verse 13. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And sort of as we started this series on the book of Romans last summer, our theme for that, uh, and the first part of the letter was, the good news is for everyone. Verse 14, but, and there is sort of a but in this. The good news is for everyone, but, Paul says, how can they call on him? How can everyone call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And this is the part of following Jesus that's really kind of challenging. Because following Jesus is not just about getting a ticket to heaven and you're good. Following Jesus is about getting right with God and then sharing with others how they can get right with God. We believe and declare Jesus personally, but then we need to go and believe and declare Jesus with other people and around other people. And we can only do that by going and sharing this good news, this message of Jesus with other people. Just to be very clear though, this doesn't mean some sort of weird, like you share your faith with every person, every conversation you ever have kind of thing. Like that's not necessarily what Jesus would say, though your life sort of should share that, but you don't always necessarily need to do that in some weird ways with your words or with your actions. And while everybody's not gonna necessarily welcome the message of Jesus as sort of is gonna be indicated a little bit later in this passage, Paul does give us sort of an indication of something we should hear occasionally when we share the good news of Jesus. He says this in verse 15. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. That if we share the message of Jesus with people, God's basically saying like, that's a beautiful thing that you're doing for other people. Now, when he says good news, good news is sort of another way to say gospel. If you've heard gospel, they're sort of synonymous terms. And in the first century, people understood this term of good news in two different ways. Um, the first way was the Jews. They sort of understood good news as meaning um, the prediction or the long-awaited victory over evil that God was going to have. That God was going to have this long-awaited victory over evil. That was the good news. The second group of people was the Romans or the Gentiles who believed that the good news was really the birthday or the, the ordination day or the, the day that the emperor became came to power. And so it was a pretty significant day in another aspect. And Jesus, along with Paul, saw that this kingdom that God was establishing was going to sort of conflict with the world's rulers and leaders. So we really shouldn't be surprised when we're sharing the good news of Jesus and that sort of ruffles some feathers and conflicts with the rulers and leaders of this world. In fact, you really could argue if you're not ruffling the feathers or kind of conflicting with the world's leaders and rulers, maybe you're sharing some other news other than the good news of Jesus. So I want to emphasize two things to really two different groups of people and then we'll wrap up our time together today. The first emphasis is that the good news is for everyone. So I want to ask you some questions. Have you responded to the good news of Jesus yet? Have you openly declared that Jesus is your leader and your master? Have you believed in your heart that God actually raised him from the dead? Because if you haven't done that yet, I want to invite you to do so today. In just a few moments, we're going to lead a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I would invite you, if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't believed that the good news is for you, I would invite you to do that a little bit later 
in just a few moments. So the second thing is, the good news is for everyone still if we bring it. Because I really can't think of anyone in our church that would disagree with the first part of that statement. I really can't. And yet, I wonder if some of us are living as if the good news is for some people and not for everyone. Because I want to ask you, who do you need to share the good news of Jesus with? Like, who is a person? Or, or have you asked Jesus to share you or show you who you need to share the good news of Jesus with? Or have you not shared the good news of Jesus because of fear? Like, you're just a little bit afraid. And, and I get afraid too, so that's not to say that's bad. But have you let fear control you and stop you from sharing the good news? Or have you unknowingly excluded people because you don't really know people that don't know Jesus yet? You only know people who know Jesus, and that's sort of your sphere of influence. Maybe you haven't built any relationships with people so that you can get to the place where you share about Jesus yet. Or maybe you just aren't sure what to say. The good news about Jesus, part of the good news about Jesus, is that we don't have to live this life alone. That when you put, when you put your trust in Jesus, God can come and live inside of you and help you and guide you and empower you and strengthen you to go and do the things that he's asked you to do. His power can help you in difficult conversations and difficult circumstances if we ask him. So have you asked God who he wants you to bring the good news to? Have you asked God to help you and to strengthen you and to empower you and to give you the courage to go and actually do it? Because when Paul wrote this letter, it's kind of interesting. Paul was writing to his friends and family, his Jewish friends and family, and, and trying to tell them that if they want to be in a right relationship with God, with their own Messiah, they're going to actually have to share their Messiah with a larger family of people outside of the Jewish family into the Gentiles and basically everybody that was not Jewish. And for the rest of us, us Gentiles, if we want to have a connection with God through our Savior, Jesus, we're going to have to share our Messiah, our Savior, with a bigger group of people. So are we willing to do that? Because the good news of Jesus is for everyone still, if we bring it. Let me pray for us. So right now I want to lead two different prayers. One prayer is for the first group of people who haven't put their trust and haven't openly declared that Jesus is our Lord. So if that's you today, I invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the good news that he brings. Today, I want to openly declare that Jesus is my master, that Jesus is my Lord. And God, I believe in my heart, and with these words I'm confessing and telling you that I believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. God, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you help give me a new life because of Jesus? Would you help me to live for him? Would you empower me to do the things that you want me to do? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to leave the second prayer in just a moment, but if you prayed that first prayer, I want to invite you to do something. In the chat, there's a little button that you can click raise hand. And by doing so, you'll share with us that you prayed this prayer to commit your life to following Jesus. And we want to celebrate that with you. We think that's an amazing thing and share with you how we can help you in your newfound journey to follow Jesus and to commit to following him. We really want to be the wind in your sails to do that. So for the rest of you, I want to pray that second prayer now. God, for the rest of us that need to share our faith with someone, that we need to be challenged to express and confess and, and declare publicly and believe that you are who you say you are. God, would you help us to know who we need to share our faith with? Would you help us to know how we can do that? Would you help us to see the opportunities? 
And right now, for some of us, would you give us the face? Would you show us the face of the person that we need to share Jesus with? Would you give us the name of the person that we need to share the good news with? And God, if we don't have a name or a face right now, would you help us to see every opportunity that we might have to share the good news with someone? And God, would you give us the strength? Would you give us the courage? Would you give us the boldness at times? Would you remind us that you're with us in those difficult and awkward conversations? But God, would you help us to go and share the good news because someone shared it with us. Would you help us to go and do that? It's only in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.